started a brand new series today. Uh, we thought this would be a great way to kick off the new year. It's called Living on the Edge. And uh, when we think of living on the edge, we typically think about, you know, extreme sports, you know, being a, a race car driver or a rock climber, or uh, there's something called hella skiing, which you jump out of a helicopter with skis on. Sounds interesting. Uh, but that's not what this series is about. Thank God. Thank God we don't have to do stuff like that to be a Christian. Uh, but what it is about is living on the edge as a Christian, because, you know, we as Christians are called to live on the edge, just not in the way that many people would think it would be called. Um, when you look at life and you think about life on this earth as a person, there's many different kind of terms and illustrations that people use to describe it. Uh, it can be called, your life can be called a journey. Uh, there's also a term that people have used called life is a highway. You know, that was Tom Cochran back in the 90s and Rascal Flatts made it popular later. Uh, we all know about life being a highway, right? Uh, but even the Bible talks about life being uh, a road. Uh, Jesus said that there's a wide road that leads to destruction and then there's a narrow road that leads to life. And it, the Bible also talks many times about life being like a path. You know, the psalmist said that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. He's talking about our life and how we live this life out. So um, I, for the purpose of this series, um, I typically think about life being kind of more like a river or a stream, that when we're all on this stream somewhere, we're all on this river somewhere, and how we respond in life, how we live our life, the things that matter to us in life, the passions we have, what makes us tick, that determines where we are on this river, on this stream that we're living in. And uh, the main stream is actually the center of the stream. When you have a, if you have a river, the center is going to have the most water, it's gonna have the biggest current, and it is the main part of the river or the stream, right? And the main stream is where the, uh, the ideas, attitudes, or activities that are regarded as normal or conventional, that's where they reside. The dominant trends of the day or the status quo, if you will, that's the center, that's the mainstream. Now, the majority of people are on the mainstream. It's called that for a reason because that's where the majority of people are. It's the main part. It's, it's the people that are kind of going with the flow. That's the, that's the center of our society today. Uh, however, the Christian life is one that is meant to be lived on the edge. We're not meant to be in the mainstream. We're not engaging in the same ideas and, and attitudes and activities as the social convention is. We are called to think differently, live differently, and even challenge the status quo in our life. So if, you're, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, or if you're here today, or you're listening online, and you're still kicking the tires of faith, you're not even sure if you believe this whole Jesus being God thing, I wanna tell you I believe this series is for you because for a lot of us, it's gonna be about remembering, being reminded. For a lot of us, it's gonna be about education and learning what the, the, the life of a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to live this life, what that's gonna be. I think for most of us, um, it's gonna be a little bit of both, remembering and educational. So I encourage you to come along with us this month as we go through this series called Living on the Edge. And uh, I'm gonna jump right into my text verse this morning, and I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me if you would, please. Uh, we like to stand here in honor of God's word as we read it together. It's gonna be on the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can look on the screen or you're welcome to open your Bible app in your phone. Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, start in chapter six, starting in verse 14. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is just another name for Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. In other words, I'm taking some liberty here, but in other words, live on the edge. We are designed to live on the edge. My title today is called Separated at Birth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time we have together. I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice, and I pray your blessing on every one of them, Lord God, that our ears would be open to hear your word. We know that it is your word that transforms. It is the gospel that changes our lives. Lord, let the gospel go forth today. We thank you that your word will do what it is set out to do, and I pray that there would be a harvest in every one of our hearts. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now stick with me today, we might go five minutes long, but I promise I'll get you out of here before the one o'clock football start, okay? Um, we had a little extra in the service today, but it's worth it. Uh, so most people want us to live in the mainstream. It's called the mainstream for a reason. We like to be there, it's, it's, there's a lot of perks to being in the, the mainstream of society, and that's fine. You know, for us wanting to kind of go with the flow, wanting to kind of blend in, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm wired that way myself. I'm very easygoing, go with the flow. Um, I, I'm not flashy, I actually don't like a lot of attention. It's incredibly ironic that I'm a pastor that's on a stage every Sunday because um, I would be just as content to be behind the stage working on lighting or sound or whatever. Um, I, don't, I don't need to be up in front of people to have fulfillment in life, so praise God he called me to this anyway. That's probably why he called me because he likes to get us out of our comfort zones, right? Uh, but I don't, I don't need that, and many of you don't either. Many of you like to just kind of be in the, in the mainstream and not really stand out, and there's nothing wrong with that until it bleeds into our faith. Because in our faith, we're not designed to blend in. We're not designed to be in the center of the societal mainstream. In fact, we are meant to be on the margin of society. As a follower of Jesus, if you're living the life that Jesus has laid out for you, you will always be in the margins. You will always be on the fringe of society, always. That, you don't have to ask God about that. You don't have to pray about that. God, where do you want me? He always wants us on the free. And I'm not saying to be completely separated from the world in that we don't associate with the world. I praise God that Christians associate with society. Because if you're here today and you're a Christian, somebody that was a Christian approached you and told you the gospel. And if, if every Christian just completely removed themselves, everybody else would be in a lot of trouble. So we're not, complete, we're not designed to be completely separated. I'm talking about our ideas, our attitudes and our actions. We are meant to be on the fringe of society. You look at the New Testament, the early church, every, every person you see in your Bible is going to be people that were on the fringe. They were, they were never in the mainstream. They were never fitting in, sometimes to their detriment, sometimes to, to the point that they were martyred for their faith, right? That, that happened a lot more commonly in the world back in the first century. It still happens around the world today, but we don't really experience that much here in the States. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be on the margins of society. And we are called to be set apart. Every Christian is called to be set apart. The biblical term for that is called sanctification. Many of you know what that term means. Maybe you have heard it maybe many times and still don't really know what it totally means. What it basically means is just a fancy word for becoming more like Christ and less like yourself. That's what it is. It's becoming more like Jesus and less like the world. It's becoming more on the edge of society than it is being in the mainstream. That's what sanctification is. That is the design for us as followers of Jesus to be completely set apart for him. And there's an aspect of sanctification that happens the moment you get saved. The Bible is clear that when you are saved, you become a child of God, you are set apart as his and you are his own. 
you are, he is yours and you are his when you get saved. There is a setting apart the moment you step into salvation. But there's also a process of sanctification that continues on in our life. And if you've been saved for any amount of time, you know that. You're probably a little more mature as a Christian than you were the first day you got saved. You should be, at least, if you're really doing what the way, we're living the way God has intended us for li to live. We're gonna grow in our faith. We're gonna become more mature. In fact, in, uh, it's, it's in Philippians 2, in, in verse 12, where Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's sanctification. Become more and more like Jesus in your life. In Corinthians, he actually says that we become ever increasingly more transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Ever increasingly. So it's not just a one-time, one-stop shop. It is a lifestyle that we live that we continue to become more and more like him. That's what sanctification looks like in our life. And sanctification is always gonna put us on the edge. If you're gonna live your life for Jesus, you're going to be on the edge. And it's not just to be contrary or different. See, the, the issue here sometimes is that some Christians just like being different than everybody else anyway, so they love the idea of being different from society, but they do it in a way that's not really drawing people to Jesus. You know, Jesus is the one that showed us how to live on the edge and still draw people. He was drawing people out of the mainstream to the edge with him. He wasn't just being different for different sake. And too oftentimes we see that in the church where we just wanna be different, we, we just hate the world because they, they're just so different they don't understand what we're doing. We're not called to do that at all. We're called to be a light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world as we are set apart, as we are sanctified in our life. We are the light of the world. I, I think about the Amish church. You know, they, 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 they have good intentions, but they got it wrong. They've completely separated themselves from the world to the point that they're like, living on their own and, and they have their own communities and nobody goes in or comes out of them for the most part. And they, they missed the, the idea of sanctification. They've taken it too much to the extreme. And we can do that too if we're not careful where we just completely surround ourselves in this Christian bubble and we don't really have any impact on the world. Sanctification is about purifying us so that we can be the light that Jesus has called us to be in life. So let me unpack the text verse just a little bit for us that I shared at the top here in 2 Corinthians 6. He starts off by saying, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, okay? If, if you're new to the faith or if you've never read your Bible and you read something like this, that sounds weird. But what Paul's doing is he's taking us back all the way to the law that was given to Moses by God, who in turn gave it to the children of Israel. And what part of the law in Deuteronomy, Moses was saying, do not yoke two different animals together under the same yoke. The yoke was the, the harness that they would use to have two animals pulling a plow or a tra trailer or wagon, whatever it was. And it was, it was in the law not to put two different kinds of animals together under the same yoke. And so Paul's taking that and bringing it up to the current day and he's saying, not only should you not put two animals together, don't be yoked together with an unbeliever because you're two very, very different people. You're going to have different uh, values. You're gonna have different standards, different convictions, different ideas, different processes in your life and it, does, it isn't gonna work. And many people have used that verse to tell people, you know, you shouldn't, as a Christian, you shouldn't marry someone that's not a Christian because you're unequally yoked and you're gonna have so much tension in marriage that it's gonna make it more difficult. And, and there's some truth to that, right? But this is not just about marriage. It's about putting yourself in any environment where you are yoking yourself with someone in, that's, that's not of the same faith as you and letting that person have influence in your life. 
It's the idea of you being on the edge and somebody else in the mainstream and you're trying to work together with them. One of you is gonna have to give. And more too often times, it's the person of faith giving in just to keep the peace or to keep things moving forward. And so Paul's saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because it's not worth it. It's the idea, because so many people get this so confused that, you know, man, does that mean I should never, you know, work, I should only work with other Christians, I should only associate, I should only have friends with other Christians. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I love the analogy of, somebody said one time of a boat, that if we're like a boat, we're in the water as a boat, and you're functioning well as long as you are staying in the water, above the water. But if the water gets in the boat, the boat loses its purpose because it'll sink. And that's exactly with us. We're meant to be in the world, but not of it. It's not supposed to be in us because if it is, we lose our purpose. So don't be unequally yoked. And then he goes on in the next couple verses to say, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What, do fellowship, what, can, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and uh, Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between temple of God and idols? He's given these stark contrasts. He's making strong distinctions between believers and unbelievers. And he's saying, this is why you shouldn't be yoked together is because there's so much contrasting. There's so much difference in the way that we function in life. But then he goes on to say at the end of my my passage, he says that I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. We are called to be separate. The problem is the mainstream, the middle, has such a strong pull. There is a pull to get us into the societal norms, right? We, we experience that every day. We are constantly marinating in the center of society and the, the, the dominant trends in society, the, the status quo is always pulling us. It's pulling us to the center constantly. And there's some, there's some perks to being in the mainstream, even in our thought process and thinking like society thinks. There's some, there's some big perks to it that draw us in. And I just wanna mention a couple of them real quick because I think it's good for us to, to think about this and what our tendency is in our own life, why we're drawn into uh, the thinking and the habit patterns of society. And the first one is I just think it's just easy. It's just really easy. It's easy to be in the mainstream. It requires very little sacrifice or effort. You can just kind of go with the flow. You know, if you've ever been on an inner tube going down a river, if you're in the middle where there's nothing on the sides and you could just sit in the middle and just coast, the, the, the stream does most of the work, the flow does most of the work, you just sit there and take in the sights and sounds, right? And it's easy and it's fun. And it just, there's just not much resistance. And frankly, it sounds kind of crazy, but I think there's even a part of us sometimes that just likes other people to do our thinking for us. Other people that are passionate about something, just you know, listen to them, yeah, that makes, that makes sense, that sounds good, just kind of going with it, rather than have to think for ourselves sometimes. I mean, that's, that's something we can all deal with in our life. We're all challenged with at times. In fact, even in the church, we don't need to just take everything somebody says as truth or as gospel. I tell you guys all the time, test and make sure that what I say is true. Make sure it's from the Bible. If the only Bible you get is on Sunday mornings on this screen, then I can say whatever I want and you'll just eat it up because you don't have any reference of knowing whether or not it's truth. What I say here on the Sunday should just be to confirm what you already know and believe. 
It should be to encourage you or challenge you or remind you of things. But you need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know why you think how you think. You need to know why you respond the way you respond. You need to know that for yourself. It's important for all of us to think for ourselves and not just go with the flow with everything that happens and let everybody else do our work for us. There's also the idea that uh, the illusion of safety in the mainstream, in the middle. It seems safer in the, in the center, doesn't it? And in society, it can feel that way. And I put the illusion of in parentheses because it's a faux, it's a faux safety. It's not a real safety. It's an artificial safety. You know, you've heard the term that there's safety in numbers. And there's definitely some truth to that. I mean, statistically, your chances of getting, you know, attacked on the street and mugged or whatever are much, much lower if you have people with you, right? So there's definitely some truth to the fact that there's safety in numbers. It, but society would want you to think there's also safety in following the emotional center, those numbers as well, and the attitude center and the, the, the idea center to stay in those, you know, the more people that believe that way or, or think that way, it must make it true. I mean, because we all know that the majority of the society is not Christian. It's not people that love and follow Jesus. So if the majority thinks that, it's, that the Christian life is something different or weird or we shouldn't do it, then, then that's, that's what's gonna be safe because that's what everybody else thinks we should do. And we can fall into that trap if we're not careful, even inside of our faith. We can say, well, I have faith, but there's certain parts about the faith that are too hard, so I'm gonna let society determine how I feel about you know, really sacrificing in my life or really surrendering my life to Jesus or really, really living wholeheartedly for him. I'm gonna just have faith because I wanna go to heaven, but I'm gonna let society kind of dictate how I live it out. We can get stuck in that. I mean, how often, or, or maybe this has ever happened to you where you're talking to some friends of yours and one of your friends that's you know, maybe not a Christian starts bragging about their, uh, you know, their sexual conquests over the last year. And uh, if you wanna know if it's safe to deviate from that, then just next time that happens, just say, well, you know, I think, I think we should wait till we're married to have sex with other people and see how that goes, right? Best case scenario, they're gonna say, well, that's okay for you. Worst case, you're gonna get a black eye <laughs> because it's just against the norms today. That's the norm. So it's, it feels safer to just go with it, at least outwardly, even if you're thinking different inwardly, it's safer to go with it because as long as you go with the flow, people will leave you alone for the most part. It's also fluid. It's another reason that we're drawn to the center. That's kind of a pun there. I didn't even really mean that because we're not talking about actual water fluid, but the fact that it just changes so much. And I know some of you say, oh, I don't like change, but really the reality is in our, in our natural selfish nature, we, we don't, we don't wanna fight change. If change comes, we just kinda wanna just kinda go with it. We don't wanna, if you're not thinking for yourself, if you're concerned about ease and safety, then if things change, you're just kinda like, well, if that's what they're saying now, I guess that's what they're saying, whatever. You know, I'm not really passionate about anything. I'm just kinda letting society dictate what I'm going to do. And it's incredibly appealing to us in our selfish nature because the, the, the standards, they change all the time and you can feel the draw, the pull to just kinda go with it in the mainstream. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, you know, 50 years ago were completely taboo and now they're right in the center of the mainstream and everybody's just okay with it. I mean, have you noticed how quickly mindsets in society have changed just over the last five years? Things that were completely unacceptable five years ago are just the norm now. It's not even a big deal. I mean, when I talk about, you know, just having multiple sexual partners and bragging about it, you know, in my lifetime when I was young, 
that's kind of stuff was going on where people were doing it, but they weren't bragging about it. It was something that was only, it had a little bit of shame attached to it, right? Especially for young women. And now you see young women bragging about it, how like, you know, I do that because that gives me my power. And it's completely socially acceptable now. It's changed just that quick. And just like there were things that used to be part of the norm that are now on the fringe that have changed just recently. I was thinking through this when I was planning this and I thought the first thing that came into my mind was how we discipline kids. When I was a kid, I got my, I got my backside warmed up all the time. I mean, all the time, sometimes multiple times in a day. I remember Joy saying how her nanny would tell her to go out and get a switch. If she didn't bring a big enough one, nanny would go get the one that she wanted. And we'd laugh about it, we, you know, it was no big deal. You say that today, defects will be at your house tomorrow morning. It's incredible. It's, and that was so normal, and all of a sudden, nope, can't do it, and everybody's like, okay, I guess we can't do it anymore. And it's just easy to just go with the flow of the stream of the mainstream, just kind of go with it. Let them determine the standards. And if they want to change it tomorrow, okay, I guess we'll change it then. Whatever. It's, there's such a draw to the mainstream. And church, we as believers and followers of Jesus are not called to take it easy or to be safe or to be fluid and allow things to just change in our life. We have a standard we live by. We have, a, we have the Bible that we are called to stand on and live by according to it. It's so beautiful. There's no other documentation anywhere in the world, anywhere that has stood the test of time like the word of God has. And, and God doesn't change. It's incredibly clear that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, cultural norms will shift and move, but when I'm talking about the standards that God has for us, those do not change. They do not change. He is the same that he has always been. We are called to reject the ideas and the attitudes and the actions of the mainstream not to go with the flow. See, Jesus gave us a new way when he gave us new life. Uh, in uh, Ephesians 4, I love this passage of scripture in verse 22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, this would be those that are in the, in the mainstream, to put off your old self. The old self is those of us that would consider ourselves in that group think which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There's no option to not be corrupted if you're in the center. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's, Paul is saying here that before we knew Jesus, we had the old self that was powerless against the societal pressures and the societal norms. And you were being corrupted by your deceitful desires. I, that term is so powerful. You know what they say about people that are deceived? The hardest, the, the toughest thing about that is the people that are deceived don't know they're deceived. Otherwise you wouldn't be deceived. They think they're not deceived. And so deception is incredibly powerful in life. I don't know about you, but I pray all the time, God, please show me if I'm deceived in any way. He's the only one that can really reveal it to you. And so it says that you're being deceived you're, you're being corrupted by your deceitful desires. Your own desires deceive you into thinking you're okay. That's exactly what they do. I've, I mean, you've done it, I've done it. You've convinced yourself that what you're doing is okay in a situation, even though if you really allow yourself to go there, you know it's not. But you've deceived yourself into thinking, eh, it's not a big deal. But, he says, you put on 
you, you, uh, be, you're made new in the attitude of your minds. You put on the new self to be like God. See, Paul is clear that when we give our lives to Jesus, you decide, yes, I want to be a Christian. The old man has to die and you have to become a new person. That is what, the, that is what being a Christian looks like. And again, just like sanctification, there's an aspect of it that happens the moment you step into salvation, but there's also an aspect of it that it's a process of you living out, continually dying to yourself, continually killing that old man, continually crucifying your old man and saying, no, you don't get a say today. It's a continual process in our life. And when, he, when Jesus gave us new life, he gave us new purpose. I titled this message Separated at Birth because it's exactly what happens. When we get that new birth, we are separated from the societal norms. We become a new person. We don't think like that anymore. We put on a new mind, we put on a new self, and we are completely separated in our ideas, in our thoughts, and in our actions. Because that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Because when we get saved, when we give our life to him, he gives us his Holy Spirit that is inside of us, that helps us to live out this life, to be separated from what society would say is the norm. Hallelujah. And it, become, it becomes incredibly dangerous in our life when, we, when, when the church wants to be in the mainstream. When, when those of us in the church want to, be, want to figure out a way to live in that easy, safe place but still be a Christian. It's a very, very dangerous thing because you really can't do it. You really can't do it. And many of you aren't thriving in life right now because you're trying to do it. Because you've rejected this thought that I have to live on the edge to really live the Christian life when the reality is there's no other option. And let me tell you, what the world tries to tell us that Jesus is on the fringe or Jesus is in the mainstream, and he's not. The world tries to tell us, oh, Jesus would be totally fine with all these changes we've been having in society over the last 50 years. He would, he's okay with that because he just loves. He's just love. He's just a big hippie that just loves everybody. Right? That's what society says all day, every day. Oh, he would never get mad at people that you know, aren't doing what your Bible says to do. And, that's what's, and listen, we can't get mad at society for that. They don't know. They don't have the new self. If you don't have the new self, you can't understand the scriptures. The only way to understand the scriptures is the Holy Spirit in the new self, helping us, interpreting it for us in our life. You can tell very quickly if somebody really knows Jesus when they start talking about Jesus. So we can't get mad at society. Where we have to be careful is when the church starts preaching it. And the church is preaching it, that Jesus is right in the middle of the mainstream, guys. It's totally fine, he's there. He blesses everything we do because he loves us so much. When the church steps into that, it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous and we have to reject that wholeheartedly, amen. God is not in the mainstream. Jesus, uh, Paul said that God was saying, come out and be separate, to be separate from that in our life. Okay, very quickly, I wanna give you these because I wanna leave you with this today, but as much as there is a pull to the center, the edge is also drawing us out too. The Holy Spirit is drawing us. And there's some perks to being on the edge too. Some things that are life-changing for us that make it all worthwhile if we will do it because it does require sacrifice, it requires surrender, it requires living a life with standards, those aren't easy, but the rewards are incredible. And the one that I wanna share with you today, I wanna to give you three of them that I think are the most important. The one is freedom. The freedom that you want in your life, the freedom that Jesus came and died for to give you is on the edge. It's the only place you get it. 
very, very clearly, it is the only place you get the freedom that he died to give you. Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is not some blanket statement that, oh, you're just free to do whatever because Jesus died. No, 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 no. The freedom that Christ gives us is a lifestyle that we get to live free from the things that the world would want to give us. But the only way to really walk in that freedom and experience it is to be on the edge and to get outside of the dominant trends and the status quo. It's the only way to do it. And you might be sitting here today thinking, man, I really wanna be free. I really want freedom from lust. I want freedom from, from alcohol. I want freedom from another addiction. I want freedom from anxiety and fear. I want freedom in my life, but I'm not really able to experience it. I can tell you that some of it has to do with the fact that we are allowing societal norms to infect us and affect our thinking. The freedom comes from rejecting those things in our life. And living for yourself is where you really get that. That's what the mainstream is, that's living for you. And living for yourself is where you will experience the most bondage you'll ever experience. And many of you know that, many of you have experienced that. You had to reject self to actually walk in the freedom that Christ gives us. I've done that myself. I have had to reject self to actually experience that freedom that Christ gave me, that came to give me to set me free. Freedom is only found in that. Psalm 119, verse 32. It says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Praise God. The path that he has put us on is one of freedom. But we have to walk that path to really experience it. Secondly is transformation. If I asked everyone in this room to raise your hand, if you really would, would like to be transformed to be more like Jesus in your life, every hand would probably go up as long as you're awake. Every hand would go up because we all want transformation in our life. The problem is that too many of us are trying to get it in the middle, just like freedom. Freedom doesn't come in the middle. Transformation doesn't come in the middle. Transformation comes from being on the edge. Romans 12, 2, one of the best verses in all the Bible. Many of you know it. Paul said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world, to the mainstream to the group think, don't conform to that, don't assimilate to that, don't allow that to infect your mind and your life. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The only way to be transformed is to reject the patterns of the world. That is the simplest thing you'll ever hear in your life, but it's one of the most difficult things to walk out to reject, to not assimilate. That word conform there is the same as assimilate, to, to allow outside influences to affect you. Paul says you have to reject it. He didn't say, say a prayer, get saved, and it'll all go away. He said, do not conform, do not assimilate. Be intentional not to allow the dominant trends of the day to determine how you're gonna think. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewal comes living on the edge. It comes living for Jesus. It comes surrendering, sacrificing, raising standards in your life and living in such a way that he is glorified, that he is first, that he is honored in your life. Then your mind will be renewed and you will not assimilate to these patterns of the world. It's the only way to experience that transformation. Now listen, I'm, we're, I'm a Pentecostal guy. I believe that you can pray for somebody and God can deliver them in the moment, incredibly, supernaturally, manifestation of the power of God in their life. I believe it all day. I've seen it many, many times. But even when you experience that instant transformation, that instant healing, that instant miracle that you desperately need, you still have to walk it out. You still have to continue to walk that out. 
When God delivers you from anxiety and fear, it doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want the rest of your life and you're never gonna fear again. If you don't live it out and continue to reject the patterns of the world, that fear is gonna come back. That anxiety is gonna come back. That lust is gonna come back. Whatever it is, it's gonna come back. You have to continue to reject it and continue to not conform to the patterns of this world. Praise God. And then third and finally, and I'm kind of hustling through this, I hate it, but I encourage you to, to study this some more on your own because it's really, really good, powerful stuff from the word of God. Thirdly is the will of God. The will of God draws us to the edge. You know, everyone wants to know the will of God for their life. <laughs> everyone wants to have freedom, have transformation, and know the will of God. In fact, it's a, it's a horribly kept secret among pastors. If you wanna have a great altar call at the end of a service, preach on the will of God. People flood the altar because everybody wants to know God's will for their life. We all do, right? Who doesn't wanna know what God's will for me is, what his purpose is, what his plan is for my life? We all want to know it. Well, I can tell you today that the will of God for every single one of us is that we'd be on the edge, first of all, that we would not be in the mainstream. See, that's part of our problem right there is I'm trying to assimilate to the, the societal norms, but I still wanna be a Christian. I still wanna know what God wants me to do with my life. The first thing he would say to you is get out of the middle. Get out of the mainstream and get over here on the fringe because that's where Jesus is. He said, get over here with me. That's the first part. But also the plan he has for your life, the purpose that he has for your life is only found once we get over there. And once we actually do reject the patterns of this world and we actually focus our hearts and our minds on him and on him alone, not trying to get him to come in to all this worldly stuff we got going in our life and say, well, God, what do you want me to do in the midst of this worldly stuff? He'd say, I want you to get out of the worldly stuff first and then I'll show you my purpose for you. That's how he works. If you wanna know his will, get out of the worldly stuff first and then, and then trust him and live for him and watch what he does in your life. Watch how he starts to give you purpose in the mundane things you didn't think were worth anything in your life. All of a sudden have purpose because you're living for him. That's what it's about, church. Amen. One final verse, Psalm 119. Well, two verses, verses 104 and 105. Love this. Many of you know this, this passage. He says, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. We have to hate the wrong paths, church. Hate them. Not the people that are in that path, the path itself, the idea of anything outside of God's path. We have to hate it. And he goes on to say, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. His word is a lamp. He's, he's illustrating here that life is a path, that if you want your path to be lit up, you wanna understand God's will for your life and understand his purpose and to be able to see it, you need a lamp on it. The lamp for your path is his word. It's his word. It's not, it's not seeking out what works out the best for you. It's not seeking out what the best route for your career is or your education or your marriage or who you're gonna marry or all the other stuff you're gonna do with your life. Those are all necessary and needed. But if you really wanna have your path lit up, it's his word. It's living according to his word in your life. We are called to live on the edge because that's where he is and that's where we will find the freedom, the transformation, and the will of God for our life. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us this, this afternoon. Listen, I wanna encourage you. Today starts our 21 days of prayer. Um, we're not... We're not um, pushing you guys to fast. We'd love it if some of you, if, if you're there and you can do that, if you wanna fast something these 21 days as well, um, it's, it's appropriate to start this at the beginning of the year, just to, to start the year off on, a, on the right foot. Give us a foundation to build this year 
And, um, but we wanna encourage you to take some time each day, these 21 days. If you already have time that you pray, that's wonderful, but take a, make a separate time where you're just, set alarm on your phone, do it during lunch, whenever, just take, I mean, you don't have to take 30 minutes, you can take three minutes and just make sure you're dedicating this year to the Lord, that you're committing yourself to hearing him, to quieting yourself before him and allowing him to lead you, to speak to your heart, to give you purpose for this year. We really wanna encourage you to do this. I think it'll be powerful for you. And then after the, at the end of the three weeks, we're gonna have our international potluck that we haven't done in a few years that I am really excited about. Uh, especially all this international food, all you international folk, you better be there. And uh, we're really excited about that too. We're gonna culminate it that night. So um, it's gonna be a wonderful night, but make sure you're taking time. Anybody can, can, do, can commit to something for 21 days. And uh, you might find even habits in your life that you're starting to create where you, you realize, oh, I really like doing this. And you can continue on uh, never, uh, open-ended and, um, and just committing your ways to the Lord. But let's commit this year to living on the edge with him and uh, staying out of the societal norms, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is amazing. God, we, we wanna hate the wrong path. God, help us to hate the idea of living in the center, in the mainstream, God. Lord, we wanna, we wanna just long to live on the edge with you, that, that we would live according to your purpose, according to your ways, according to your thoughts for us, that our heart would be your heart, that you, the things that break your heart would break ours. God, that we would reject this pattern of the world, that we would not conform or assimilate to the things of this world. We would not let them infiltrate our lives and tell us how to think. But Lord, we would, we would look to you and to your word for how we will respond, how, what will be passions for us, what will make us tick in this life, Lord. They would all come from our relationship and our love with you. We thank you for it today, God. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice today, Father, that you would do that work in our hearts. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be intentional. Holy Spirit, work in every one of us. Would you overflow out of us, God? Fill us with your spirit today and every day, Lord. Let your glory be known, Lord. Let us be lights in this world. Let us be a city on a hill, drawing people to you for your glory, your fame, and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.